Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. All right, how we doing, Mercy family? Y'all good? Yeah. Man, what a, I just want to tell you, we have had an incredible weekend here uh, at the church as we've gone through our Redeeming Sex weekend, this whole conference. Yeah, so we got some people that were here. Y'all, really powerful. I got to tell you, I was really nervous just because we were having a lot of very specific conversations about how the gospel uh, applies to real stuff we're dealing with in life. And over and over, what we saw was just a really well done um, leadership by every single one, every single one of our breakouts, main sessions, just really well done and really w- well received. I felt like last night was like the last night of camp, uh, like summer camp for all of us. It was uh, fantastic. And we're continuing that into today. Um, I get the joy of introducing to you today our uh, preacher who's going to be preaching this morning, who is here with us as a part of the conference. His name is Dr. Timothy Atik. Uh, goes by T.A. Yeah, some of y'all are here. Just um, we're really blessed by him on Friday night and get to hear him again this morning. He's preaching in our Song of Solomon series. Um, as I've got to spend some time with him over the course of this weekend, just a uh, been so encouraged as like one of these guys I didn't know I had a, a like-minded, just real uh, friend and brother in Christ um, just over in this land called Texas that he would probably talk about. They all tend to. Um, they Most of them moved to North Carolina, but they still talk about Texas. Um, you know, whatever. I don't want don't to get lost there. That's not the point of this morning. Um, but I'll, he and his wife, Kat, are Aggies um, over at Texas A&M, and they is where uh, Dr. Atik leads a ministry called Breakaway Ministries, where they are reaching college students, training them up, and sending them out, which is, of course, one of the heartbeats of Mercy Church as well. Uh, he and his wife have three boys, one of whom Noah's gotten to be here with us this weekend, which has been a joy. Uh, so I don't want to take up any more of his time. We've got a great word for us, so will you join me in welcoming Dr. Timothy Atik? Well, uh, in Texas, at Texas A&M University, the way that we greet each other is by saying the word howdy, which I think might feel very uh, unfamiliar for some of you, but I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm going to say it to you. If you feel comfortable saying it back, you can, and if you don't, totally understand. So, howdy! Howdy! All right. Hey, it is good to see you. I did come from the country of Texas, and uh, things are good there. But the weather is not nearly as good as it is here, and this place is slightly prettier than what we have going on in Texas. Uh, I love getting to come and be here because it feels like I'm getting to do ministry with friends. So uh, Richard Barnes is somebody that I met a couple years ago and really just feel a very close connection with him. And then I got to meet your pastor just this weekend And just feeling like there's somebody in ministry that I connect with, even after only knowing each other for 48 hours, has been really great. So it's good to be here with you today. I do just want to warn some of the parents 
uh, if you've got your kids in here, there will just be some brief references to some material that might be considered PG-13. So if you need to take your kids out and connect them with some of the staff here at the church, you can do that. It will be brief, but just wanted to let you know that that is happening. So my wife, Catherine, and I, we just celebrated 15 years of marriage, which was incredible. October 14th. That's a big deal. Uh, thank you for that. Um, but it made me just think back to our wedding day. And we had an incredible wedding. Like, I'm half Palestinian, so if you've ever seen, like, movies of Middle Eastern weddings where the bride and groom get lifted up on chairs, that was us. Like, my family circled up on the dance floor. Uh, my cousin magically packed a drum like it just appeared out of nowhere. It was that good. My my sister-in-law was in high school at the time and she brought some of her friends and they all left saying, we want to marry Egyptians. And I'm like, I'm not Egyptian, but uh, <laughs> good luck with that. I hope that that happens for you. <laughs> but it was, it was so great. We had an incredible wedding. We went to St. Lucia on our honeymoon and then we just played really hard during our first year of marriage. Like we put on uh, the first year of marriage, 15, because we ate really, really good food. People thought that uh, we, something, like I had to check the box when applying for life insurance, excessive weight gain, that was me during first year of marriage because we were super happy and uh, we were just playing hard our first year of marriage. And all along during our first year of marriage, people would be like, man, first year of marriage is tough. And we're like, it really isn't. And people were like, first year of marriage, man, it's the toughest year of marriage. I'm like, if this is the toughest year of marriage, we are crushing it and they should let us lead conferences. We need to start counseling people because we've got it right. But then second year of marriage hit and it was like, oh, we just hit it late. And uh, so we, we just, you know, second year of marriage, Kat and I began to have bigger fights than we had ever had in our relationship. And we still loved being, marriage, being married, but we realized, man, marriage is work. In 15 years into marriage, I think I can say the same exact thing. Like, I love being married. I consider myself a poster child for the how did that guy get that girl foundation. I know some of you guys are in it. I'm looking at you. I'm like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But the I'm so sorry I said that. Uh, <laughs> but but the reality is like, hey man, marriage is hard work. I mean, my wife and I we've been in marriage counseling, and we love marriage. But marriage is hard work, and so uh, if you're not married yet, like you might. If, if you want to get married one day, I wonder if you ever dream about fighting with your spouse. Like, do you ever sit there and be like, we are just going to have it out sometimes, and I cannot wait. No one thinks about that. But if you're wanting to get married, just know, whoever you marry, when you say I do, what you're saying I do to is I do choose you to fight with you for the rest of my life. Like, that... That's the person you're gonna fight with for the rest of your life. It's not a question of if you're gonna fight, it's really a question of how will you fight when you fight. And the good news is that conflict doesn't have to be a bad thing in marriage, it can actually be a God thing. It actually can. 
it can be a God thing. You can actually glorify God through conflict in your, in your marriage. Why do I say that? Well, because the message of the gospel, the gospel is a message of reconciliation. It's a message of forgiveness. So when we conflict in marriage and then we reconcile well, it actually displays the beauty of the gospel. And so what I wanna do today is, is I wanna step back into the Song of Solomon with you guys and I just wanna talk about fighting well. And if you're not married and you're like, well, this doesn't apply to me, it absolutely applies to you. Because this is about all conflict. So if you have roommates or any friendships, like we need to deal with how we, how we fight. Because if you're one of those people who you just ghost people when you're mad at them or you sweep things under the rug or you get really passive aggressive or drama just kind of follows you around with your friend group, you desperately need to hear this talk on fighting well. So if you have a Bible, turn with me this morning to the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon chapter five is where we're going to be. Uh, the last time that you guys were in Song of Solomon was chapter four, where, um, where God allowed us to like be the creepers in the honeymoon suite, so there was that. Uh, <laughs> and so then between uh, chapter five, verse one, and chapter five, verse two, some time has passed. Like the man and woman in the Song of Solomon They've been married for a period of time. We don't know how long they've been married. Now, uh, I, I looked at about 11 different commentaries on the passage that we're looking at, and I feel like I got 11 different explanations of what's happening in this text. I'm gonna do my best. Where the, where the dilemma comes in is that in this passage, people debate whether the woman, as she is talking, is awake or asleep. Some people believe that she's dreaming the whole time. Others believe she's awake the whole time. I'm gonna take a hybrid approach where I think she's awake sometimes and asleep sometimes. In the end, in the end, it really doesn't matter because the application is the same. So if you're like that theology person, don't come up to me after and be like, I really think she was sleeping when you said she was awake. I don't care, all right? Like the, <laughs> the application, it's the same, all right? So here we go, chapter five, verse two. This is the woman talking. Remember, if, the, if, if you're new here, the, the Song of Solomon is God's instruction manual to us on finding love, making love, and maintaining love, which is a beautiful thing. God just gives us the instruction manual, and it's God's ideal. You see this, this man and woman, it, it, God is giving us the ideal picture for romantic love. She says this, she says, I slept, but my heart was awake. What does that sound like? That sounds like a restless night where she's in and out of sleep because she is having, she, she's troubled. I slept, but my heart was awake. A sound, my beloved is knocking. So her man is at the door. He's knocking at the door and look at what he says. Open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is wet with dew, my locks with the drops of the night. What is happening here, okay? The guys will probably get it before the women do. This is a man who is wanting to make sweet love to his wife. Like, that is what's happening here. There's a guy, he's come home from work, he is 
uh, in the mood and he is knocking at the door. And in case you don't believe me, just look at what the guy is saying. It's the same exact thing that he said in chapter four on their wedding night. So he's like coming home from work. He's like, if this is going to happen, I'm going to have to dig into the the good material. Like I'm going back to the wedding night material. (laughs) So man, he is pulling out all the stops. He is affirming. He is speaking the right words. But things go differently than they did on their wedding night. Listen to what she says in verse three. I had put off my garment. How could I put it on? I had bathed my feet. How could I soil them? You know what she's saying? She's saying, look, I've already washed my face. Like I've I've gotten ready for, for bed. Like I can't even believe he's thinking about that right now. And I'll just say this. This is just for... This is a strictly waste of time, but I'm just going to throw it out there anyway. Um, uh, Women, you need to know that there is probably an article of clothing that you have that's extremely comfortable for you to wear, but very uncomfortable for your husband to look at. Like, you all have it. Uh, For us, (laughs) for, for my wife, it's true. For my wife, Catherine and I, it was, it was this pair of pants that we called her genie pants, which is surprising because there was nothing magical about them <laughs> at all. But they were this pair of shiny green pants that ballooned out. The only people who should be wearing these pants are either Aladdin or MC Hammer. Those are the only people that deserve these pants. She, I've asked her to throw them away. She has since thrown them away. But anytime Catherine put on the genie pants, I was like, tonight's not my night. And that, <laughs> that is what we're seeing here in this text. Like the genie pants are on. She's like, I have washed my face. I've even washed my feet. Like we, I'm in for the night. All right. That's, that's where we're at. Okay. Total waste of time. Here we go. Verse four. (laughs) My beloved put his hand to the latch and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved had turned and gone. My soul failed me when he spoke. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. Okay, so all eyes on me, make sure that you understand what's happening here. So she's laying in bed, her husband's knocking, he, he's interested in doing something, she's not, and he ends up leaving, and as she's laying there, she has a change of heart, and then she gets up, and he's gone, and she feels bad about it, okay? And this is the first time in the book that we see a disconnect between this man and this woman. So let me be clear on on what is happening right now. Um, Is it okay if a guy wants to make love and the woman isn't interested, is that okay? Absolutely. That happens, that, that is a normal part of marriage. So please don't hear me saying anything different. But what what I believe is happening here is that the woman is realizing that she could have responded differently, not by getting up and just getting in the mood, but by simply opening the door and talking to her husband face to face, like looking him in the eye and just saying, hey, tonight's not a good night, but let's 
let's plan for another time. Like, I think she's just thinking, I could have handled it differently. Like, I did not respond to him in the most loving way. And so what we see here is the first moment in the book where there's a disconnect between the man and the woman. And the reason that I'm so thankful for that is because remember, the Song of Solomon is God's ideal. Even in God's ideal relationship, there is conflict. There is. That is an okay thing. And some of y'all need to hear that because some of you, you put a weight on marriage that marriage cannot bear because you expect marriage to be a rom-com where you think that when you get married or if you're single looking towards marriage, you believe that a good marriage is always what you see in a romantic comedy where you're all, you always have all of the feels and you're always into each other and you always want to be intimate with each other and it just always is easy and natural and it just works. And that just isn't reality. And that's okay. But conflict is a normal part of marriage. And one of the reasons that conflict is a part of God's ideal is because remember the point and purpose of your life. Why are you here? Why did God put you on this planet? He put you here to know him and to make him known. That's why you exist. In case you're still searching for your purpose, here it is. You exist to know Jesus and to make him known. The way that you make him known is by becoming more and more like Jesus. And one of the ways that God will refine your character and make you more Christ-like is by revealing aspects of your character that are still defective. And marriage is possibly the greatest work that God will use to refine you. I still remember early on in marriage where God was like, hey, I just needed you to know that you can be selfish sometimes. And then we had our first kid and God was like, let's talk about you being selfish more. I was like, let's not have any more kids, God. Like, because loud and clear, you've sent two people into my life to tell me that there's some selfishness that we need to uproot. And that's what marriage will do, is it will, it will refine your character. And so conflict is one of those ways that God will sharpen you, but if you do conflict right and you pursue reconciliation and you forgive one another, when you do that, you're actually displaying the gospel through your marriage. Because our message is not come to church and be a better person. The message of the gospel is we were enemies of God. We were enemies. We were by nature children of wrath. And yet Jesus Christ has done something so significant through his death on a cross and resurrection from the dead that he has taken us who were enemies and made us children. See, the cross and the empty tomb have brought us near and made peace between us unholy people and a holy God. That's our message. It's a message of reconciliation. So when we as husbands and wives or as roommates or as friends, when we pursue peace and when we come back together in the midst of conflict, we actually show that forgiven people forgive people. Okay? This is how the gospel gets displayed in our relationships. Okay. 
So watch this. Uh, this is just my opinion, but I think right after this, the, the woman in the story gets back in bed and falls asleep. And so I think in verse seven, she's dreaming. That's just my opinion, but I'll tell you why, okay? It says, the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my veil, those watchmen of the walls. Okay, this, this seems pretty dramatic for this to be real life. What I really think this is picturing is just God's conviction in the woman's life. Well, I, think, I think as she is asleep, I think that God is just working in her life in convicting her about how she could respond differently. And so what I think that we're seeing here is that God has a voice into her life. And so I'll just tell you this, if you're going to do conflict well, God will need a voice into your life. The best place to be, and I can't remember who said this, but I know that I latched onto it, and it's so good. In marriage, you want to be someone who responds to God instead of reacting to the person, okay? Respond to God instead of reacting to the other person. We are reactive people, aren't we? Like someone says something, it's like we've got to fire back. It becomes about who's going to win. And so fighting just becomes about proving yourself right. And so we're just reacting to one another. If you paused and stopped reacting and you started responding to God, it will turn a two-hour fight into a two to 20-minute intense conversation. And those are two very different things. A very meaningful but serious, clear conversation is different than a fight. And everything changes when you begin to respond to God, okay? What does it look like to respond to God? Well, let me just encourage you to ask three questions, okay? And I promise you, people, you can go and read all the marriage books you want. If you just study Song of Solomon, it, it's got the goods for us, okay? So if you want to respond to God, let me just encourage you, ask these three questions. Number one, am I assuming the best? Am I assuming the best or am I assuming the worst? It's like this. When Kat and I get into a fight, it's easy for me to assume the worst. She did that to bother me. She did that to annoy me. She's not thinking about my interests. That's assuming the worst, okay? But in reality, is Kat out to get me? You're like, well, we don't know your wife, possibly. I assure you, she is not. Cat is a much better, sweeter, nicer, funnier, godlier person than I am. She is never out to get me. She never wakes up and she's like, I know what'll get him. <laughs> I'm gonna be super annoying around 1 p.m. today and I cannot wait. Like, that's never her thought. That's not how she operates. And yet in my mind, in the moment, I can be like, she is not She's not thinking about me. And so we, we assume the worst. She's out to get me. He's out to ruin my life. He's out to hurt my feelings. She's out to hurt my feelings. And the reality is maybe not. We've got three kids. Life is chaotic. Sometimes things just, there's just, mis things don't match up and miss. 
So am I assuming the best? Number two, am I majoring in a minor? Am I majoring in a minor? My, my good friend, Blair Browning, says, don't major in minors. It's such a great point. Don't major in the minor things. Uh, with, with our kids, we talk about having big responses to small problems. And, and at points, we've used our hands. We're like, is this a small problem or is this a big problem? Okay, this is a small problem. Well, you're having a big response to a small problem. Sometimes we, we do the same things in our marriages. We, we major in the minors. That's why some people are on the doorstep of divorce because he forgot to take the trash out or we couldn't figure out where to go to dinner and now we, we don't know if we're gonna make it. And it's like, well, how, did we get, how did we get here? Because the problem is never really the problem. Like it, the, the problem, it, we, we major in like the the dumbest things. Like if you were to just stop for a moment and be like, what are we really arguing about here? And so maybe we need to start using our hands. Like people might think we're crazy. We're like, is this a small problem? It's a big problem. Okay. Sometimes you just need to pause and say, am I majoring in a minor? A third question to ask this is, am I at fault in any way? When we went to marriage counseling, and uh, the marriage counselor was like, okay. Uh, she asked me, she was like, well, what, why don't you explain what, what you see as the problem? I was like, well, she does this and this. And she was like, oh, a lot of you statements. Like, you do this, you do this, you do this. And she was like, try and explain it without using the word you. You know what I'm saying? Like, looking at the other person as the problem. Well, you always do this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And that's what we do. We only have eyes to see what the other person is doing wrong. But if you're, even if you have 5% blame in the conflict, you need to own that because you're part of the problem, even if it's just 5%. And so it's good to let God have a voice in, like, God, where am I at fault? If there's any place where I'm at fault, then one of the best things you can do is take ownership of that and ask for forgiveness from it or for it. So let's let's just take a minute. This will be good and therapeutic. Like we all need to be really good at saying the words, I'm sorry and I forgive you. Let's just all say that together right now. Let's first just say, I'm sorry on the count of three. One, two, three. I'm I'm sorry. Doesn't that feel good? And now let's just all say, I forgive you. One, two, three. Okay, here's the thing. If that's the first time those words have come out of your mouth in a long time, you're probably a difficult person to live with, all right? (laughs) I'm just telling you, if that's the first time your spouse sitting next to you has heard you say, I'm sorry, in a long time, you might be a difficult person to live with. Why? Because we are all imperfect, sinful human beings. You brought selfishness into your marriage just like your spouse did, just like I did, just like Kat did. That's just, we are, we are imperfect, sinful human beings. And so you will, you will be part of the problem at times. And so you'll need to get good at saying these things. There's three types of people that are miserable to be married to, okay? So let's just do some self-reflection. Just know I find myself in these three at times. So the first is the I'm right and you're wrong person. The second is the I'm sorry but person. 
And then the third is the I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry person. So let me just explain those. The first is pretty self-explanatory, but the I'm right and you're wrong person. That is the I'm right, you're wrong, I need you to know that I'm right. So I'm gonna keep explaining my side until you decide that I'm right. Very tough, very difficult. The second is the I'm sorry but person. This is like, okay, look, I'm sorry. But the reason I did that is because you did this. And then the third is the, I'm sorry, but I'm really not sorry, person. This, is, this one gets me every time. It's the, okay, look, I'm sorry you got your feelings hurt. <laughs> that's, you know that's not an apology. Like, that is the most passive-aggressive, like, reach around, slap them on the backside of the head statement. It's like, look, I'm so sorry that you are so sensitive and so insecure that you don't have thick enough skin that you got your feelings hurt. All three of those are very unhealthy. And we all probably can find ourselves in there somewhere. All right, this is too convicting. Let's keep going, verse eight. (laughs) She says, I adjure you. I still believe that she's still dreaming. She says, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, that you tell me, that you tell him, I am sick with love. So in her dream, she goes to her friends and she's like, have you seen my man? Have you seen my man? Because I'm, I'm, I'm lovesick, like she's longing for her man. And now this is interesting because I believe that in her dream, God is going to show her what her tendency might be to do in the middle of conflict. Look at it, here, her, here are her friends and listen to what her friends say. What is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another beloved that you thus adjure us? Here's what I think in her dream her friends are saying. What makes your man any better than any, any better than any other guy? Like, look at you. You're the most beautiful woman of all of the women. Does your guy really deserve you? Like, could you do better? And so what you see in this dream is this temptation to compare, which is interesting because in the hardest of conflicts, comparison will be a major temptation. And what what God does, and this is, again, this is just my opinion, but in the end, it doesn't matter whether she's dreaming or awake. But if she is dreaming, what God does is he, he doesn't even let her stop to answer her friends. God just takes her straight to the, to the, right, way to the, respond, uh, the right way to respond. What God does is he begins to remind her of the good about her husband. Okay, listen to what she says, and women, take, uh, underline this stuff, take notes on it, and use this as material with uh, your husband at some point today. Listen to what she says. She says, my beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. You try that out. Like your hair, it's black like a bird, like a... His eyes are like doves beside streams of water bathed in milk. 
sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. She's talking about his beard. His lips are lilies dripping liquid myrrh. Now, verse 14, I wish Kat would say this to me. His arms are rods of gold. I understand why she hasn't, but still, I'd love to hear those words. Set with jewels. His, <laughs> for all the dad bods in the room, his body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. Watch this. He's not like an orange on two toothpicks. Instead, his legs, think about it, all right. His legs are alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet and he is altogether, listen to what she says, he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. You see that? Isn't that amazing? In the midst of conflict, she's tempted to compare And instead of comparing, she's reminded of the things that she loves about her husband. Okay, here's what you need to understand. If you give into comparison, if you do, here's what you're going to do. You're you're going to compare your spouse's most undesirable qualities to the desirable qualities of someone else that you don't fully know. Your spouse will never win. Never. If you're comparing all of the most undesirable aspects of their raw behind the scenes footage to someone else's desirable qualities of their highlight reels, your spouse cannot win. And you know what comparison will do? It will will breed discontentment and there will be a lack of appreciation, a lack of affirmation, there will be insecurity, and separation will occur in your relationship, okay? That's why, you know what, one of the good things you can do when you're fighting is like take five minutes apart and try and think of one thing that you appreciate about the other person. It'll be hard in the moment. Just think of one thing. There's been times where Kat and I have been in a fight. I genuinely believe I am married to the funniest woman on the planet. She truly is hilarious. And, and Jesus and laughter have saved our marriage so many times. But if Kat and I have been in a fight, all it's taken is for me to be like, what are we doing? Like, I just want to get back to laughing with my wife. And yet we're spending all this time just nitpicking over something dumb. And all it took was to remember that, just that one thing that I love about Kat. And it just kind of, it allows me to get back to rational reasoning and to kind of move back towards reconciliation. Okay. Verse, or, uh, chapter six. Verse one. Her friends are talking, where's your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? Okay. She says, my beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among 
the lilies. Okay, so one of the things that I wanted you to see that I didn't mention is this, comparison kills closeness. So just write that down. Okay, avoid comparison. Comparison kills closeness. But what we just saw is we see possibly in her dream that she realizes where her man is, that he's gone down to his garden, he's working in the garden, and did you see how verse three ends? It says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. You see the same language that they were using early on in their relationship or in their marriage, where in her heart they're completely reconciled. And so I believe that she wakes up in between verses three and four, because in verse four of chapter six, we see the guy and the girl talking together again. So the thought is that she wakes up and she goes to her, her husband. And so it just brings up an important point, okay? And here it is, be a problem solver instead of a problem spreader, okay? The reason that I say that is that if you want to engage in healthy reconciliation, if there's a problem, go directly to your spouse. Because our tendency is instead of solving the problem, we spread the problem to other people. So we've been married 15 years. And my wife has a very close relationship with her mom and her sisters. Like they all talk to each other multiple times a day, sometimes all at the same time, like on a Robinson Women's conference call type thing. But not once in 15 years have we been in a fight and Kat has gone to her mom or her sisters to complain about me. Not once. Why? Because she doesn't want to spread the problem. Okay? Not once have I gone to my dad or my brothers or my friends and been like, this is the problem with Kat. No, we're, that's, that's spreading the problem. You have to decide whether you want to find gasoline or a fire extinguisher, okay? Because when you just go to other people and you just complain about your spouse, they're only getting to hear your side. And that is a slanted perspective. And so you're going to find friends who are going to be like, oh yeah, she is she is miserable for you to be married with, and they're just going to start dumping gasoline. Yeah, you could do better. Yeah, I don't know why you are still with him. He does seem like a jerk, and you're just going to find gasoline. Do you know where you find the fire extinguisher? Number one, you find it in complete surrender to Jesus Christ, where even in the midst of conflict, you're saying, Jesus, your way is the best way. So I want to respond to my spouse as if you, Jesus, were me. How, Jesus, would you respond to my spouse? But if you and your spouse find yourself in a position where you're just kind of jammed up and you don't know the path forward, go together to get help. So go together, contact a pastor here at the church, sit down with someone, or if you're in a position where it just, you feel hopeless, go together to a marriage counselor, someone who can sit down with both of you and help you process through it. But be a problem solver instead of a problem spreader. And then look at verse four. Guess who talks first? It's the guy. He says, you are beautiful as tears of my love, lovely as Jerusalem, awesome as an army with banners. What's he saying? He's saying, I love you and respect you. In the story, he's the offended one, even though this really doesn't seem like a major conflict, but still, it's the offended that takes action first. What that means is 
is take initiative. I want to encourage the guys in the room. Always, always be the first to reconciliation. Always, always beat your wife to the punch. Okay, get there first. That doesn't mean that the women don't pursue reconciliation. It just means like let's let's get there as quickly as possible. In men, take take initiative. Don't fall into passivity. And then verse five, turn away your eyes from me for they overwhelm me. Your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Verse six, I still love it. I know y'all probably talked about it. Your teeth are like a flock of ewes that have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. It's like your teeth are all white and they're all present. It's amazing. They all bear twins, not one among them has lost its young. Praise God. (laughs) Your cheeks are like halves of pomegranates behind your veil. Do you know what he's doing? He's, He's taking them back, taking her back to their wedding night. You saw this in chapter four. Isn't that interesting? Do you know what he's communicating? What he's really communicating is conflict doesn't change commitment. Conflict doesn't change commitment. Like, what if you really believed that, that conflict doesn't change commitment? We've talked about just like cultivating Eden, the idea of cultivating Eden. I just want to encourage you, if you want your marriage to flourish, cultivate Eden in your marriage. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at the Garden of Eden, what did God cultivate with Adam and Eve? Well, they had protection, they had provision, and they had significance in the garden. They felt safe. That's a beautiful thing for you to cultivate in your marriage, that safety of, hey, just because we've been in conflict, it doesn't mean that my commitment to you has changed. We sat on the altar till death, and I stand by that. That's a great thing to cultivate with your kids if they see you fighting. Hey, just so you know, my conflict with your mom or my conflict with your dad, it doesn't change commitment. Let me just give you three things real quick just to put into practice in your marriage. Just remember the goal isn't to be right, the goal is to be reconciled. Okay, the goal isn't to be right, it's to be reconciled. Anytime you need to win, I promise you, you will lose. You'll lose something. You'll lose control of yourself, you might lose sleep, you might lose someone's respect, or you might lose the relationship. But the goal isn't to be right, it's to be reconciled. Number two, just remember forgiveness is a choice, it's not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice you make a lot of times in spite of your feelings, okay? If you wait until you feel like forgiving, you might never forgive. And then third, let me just encourage you, treat every offense like it's the first offense. And the reason I say that is because if you're not careful, you'll, you'll be historical, where you will just start accruing these offenses. And the more and more times you keep record of what your spouse has done, the more and more sensitive you will get, and the bigger and bigger you will see the problem. So don't use words like always and never. You always do that. Oh yeah, because you never do that. It's so unhealthy. It's being historical. So treat every offense like it's a first offense. 
I'll just close by saying this. Uh, Jesus has gone before us, and Jesus is our example. What do we see? We see Jesus in the garden um, responding to God instead of reacting to the people. Just think if Jesus had reacted to the people. When he hung on that cross and they were like, if you really are the son of God, save yourself. What if he was like, sounds good. Where would we be? Dead in our trespasses and sins. Children of wrath. And yet, what do we see in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. Praise God for that. What do we see? We see Jesus Christ being a problem solver. He's the one who left heaven and came to earth to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus chose to forgiveness, chose to forgive us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He stood silently before Pilate. He didn't have to be right because his aim was reconciliation. And now when you know Jesus, conflict doesn't change commitment. Even in the moments where, where we still continue to sin, where we still oppose God's ways, even as followers of Jesus Christ, it doesn't change his commitment to us. Forgiven people forgive people. If you know the love of Christ, we should express the love of Christ in the way that we fight with one another. Let's pray. Let me just encourage you to take a moment. And I just, I wanna ask you to just sit with the Lord for a moment and to let him speak to you. Let him speak to your heart right now. What's he saying to you? The, the reality is that every single one of us in here has a lot of room to grow when it comes to conflict. No one does it perfectly. We are all imperfect people. We all need the grace of Jesus Christ in our lives. We need his help to extend that to other people. But maybe, man, maybe you and your spouse had a major fight just on the way to church. That's when some of the best fights take place, is in the car on the way to church. It's crazy how that happens. Maybe you're sitting there just hanging on to some bitterness. And if you were honest, it's been there for a while, towards your spouse or towards your roommate or toward a friend. And maybe it's just time to choose to forgive. It's time for you to just let that bitterness go. Jesus doesn't hold your sin against you. So maybe you're gonna stop holding their sin against them. Maybe there's something you need to ask forgiveness for. Maybe there's a way that you reacted instead of responding to God. And maybe you just sit and you just ask God, God, what's the right way to respond? And maybe even on the car ride home, your kids are gonna get to hear you say to your spouse, hey, would you forgive me? I am sorry. And so just sit with the Lord. Let him speak to you for a moment. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know this love that we're talking about, maybe you just respond by giving your life to him today. Lord Jesus, would you do a work in our hearts right now? We need you. We love you. Would you speak to us? Just take a moment and sit with him and let him speak.